morning. Reading today comes from 2 Timothy uh, 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, know all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I thought it would be appropriate for us, as we think about today, because it is a very special day, uh, as we... Uh, celebrate the a thousand uh, scripture passages that the kids have learned, or many of the kids have learned. Uh, and you think about what an accomplishment that really is. Uh, and so I thought it would be helpful for us to think this morning about the very special place that children have in God's heart. I think you see that in a number of ways. Jesus talking about uh, when the disciples are trying to keep the kids away from him. And he tells them, you know, no, let the children come to me. You know, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And speaks of how their angels uh, are able to appear before the Father. And, you know, you can kind of ponder that one. That's a really interesting passage. But what I want to do is to think of it in terms of a kind of overall themes in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have the story of God and the nation of Israel. God makes his covenant promise with Abraham and then uh, 460 years later begins to unfold the fulfillment of that through Moses. Moses leads the people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. And so God establishes the law and covenant with the nation. And we, we find uh, the kind of the high point of that suggested in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. You know, ten primary uh, fundamental ideas about relationship with God. No other gods before me, not taking God's name in vain. Uh, relationship to parents. And then relationship to others. Uh, You know, not murder, not kill, not steal, not covet, not bear false witness, not commit adultery. Uh, And so, as part of that, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the word Deuteronomy is the uh, Greek word for second law. It's a repeating of the law 
for the people. And as we come to chapter 6, there is what is called the Shema. Uh, what's interesting is that the Hebrews, you know, later known as the Jews, had a very efficient way of, of understanding the books of the Bible. You know, they called the book of Genesis in Hebrew in the beginning. We kind of do that by the name Genesis, except Genesis is Latin, not English. Uh, so the word Shema is the beginning word of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And it is here. So the Shema, and we're not going to go through the whole Shema, but just to kind of get the important points here for our purposes this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now, just kind of think that's really setting the tone here, especially, you know, the Lord is one. Uh, Love God with everything that you are. And keep these commands on your heart. All right. Notice the next point. Impress them on your children. It's a fundamental covenant responsibility for the people of Israel to teach their children about God and about his word. So talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. If you think about it, that really is a very a global type of expression. You are always talking about God's Word, especially with your children. You know, you think about what happens to children when they don't hear anything about God all week and then their parents want them to come to church. You know, I think back in, in Hamilton with the congregation that we worked with. There was a family... They were not members of the church, but the parents had said to the kids, we want you to go to Sunday school. And so as long as you live under our roof, you have to go to Sunday school. I want to point out the parents were not taking them to Sunday school or bringing them to Sunday school. They were sending them to Sunday school. What does that mean? The parents were never there, right? And so what do you think happened? When the kids got old enough, they left home. We never saw them again. Why? Well, because what, what the law is saying here, what God is saying through Moses, is that this is the faith God is taught through whole life interaction. And so things as simple as offering thanks at meals having a Bible reading, having conversations about God uh, with our children are important. So that's Old Testament. In the New Testament, we look at Ephesians 6, verse 4. Uh, it's part of a series of relationships that Paul has been talking about. And it says, Fathers, 
Do not exasperate your children. I always love that one because I used to really love frustrating my kids. But it's not, it's not the teasing kind of thing. It is, it is the, 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 the hypocrisy. It is the inconsistency. You know, you do it, I don't have to, kind of a thing. So don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, that's the equivalent of impress these on your children and talk about them. That training your children, and and notice that is especially given as a responsibility to the fathers. Both parents do it. Sometimes one parent is not around to do it for one reason or another, whether they are physically absent, emotionally absent, or spiritually absent. So, we want to flip to the story of Timothy. Timothy really intrigues me for a lot of ways. And we're not going to get it sidetracked into a lot of it, but just, just to point out that that on Paul's first missionary journey, as he's come up through Antioch of Pisidia and on up kind of into the middle of uh, what we would call modern Turkey, uh, and you notice that in the reading, Paul talks about, you know, knowing my suffering, and he actually lists the city he vis- cities he visited there in, in central Turkey. And talks about the suffering that he encountered. Well, in Lystra, he meets a young man named Timothy. And Timothy has a Jewish mother and a Greek father. He's been brought up with mixed marriages and mixed messages, sorry, from his, from his parents. You know, you talk about confusion for a child... Mom is teaching him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the covenant made through Moses and the the identity of the Jewish people. And who knows what his father is teaching him, quite likely the, the Greek deities, the pagan gods. How is that working for him? Well, on one hand, we find out that Timothy was never circumcised. And we wonder about that. Was it that his mom didn't have enough influence with the father to cause that to happen? What? She's turns out to be a remarkable woman. And so Paul says that Timothy learned... Faith through his family. I'm not talking about dad. Notice what he says here. He speaks of your, to Timothy, he says, Your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. Now, first question is how and why did Paul na- know the names of his mother, and his grandmother. Well, we probably could safely assume that they were part of the the church there. 
that as Paul came in there preaching the gospel, they were among the converts on that very first visit. And that's how Timothy started coming. That's how Timothy became a Christian. And that's how Timothy became a companion for the Apostle Paul. And so Paul goes on to say, and I am persuaded now lives in you. In other words, there was a faith in your, in your grandmother and your mother that brought them to Christ when he was presented. And now is yours. So, how did that happen? Okay, so flip over to chapter 3 where we had our reading. And notice some of the things that Paul says to Timothy. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Yeah, see, mom, grandma. See, that's where you learned it. And so keep going in that. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. One of the most important things that parents do for their children is to introduce them to God's Word, to the Bible, when they're very young. My wife likes to give new moms and their babies a Bible, a simple Bible, um, to help that process begin. And I know that Diana spent many hours reading to our kids. There was always, at bedtime, a Bible story. Well, see, Paul says to Timothy, keep up with what started when you were in infancy. Because it is through the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so you just look at some of the statements Paul makes to Timothy, right? Right here, uh, the Scriptures taught by the family help lead him to faith and salvation. Let me ask you to think about something. This illustration came many, many years ago. I didn't create it. I've heard it many, many times. But somebody tried to explain the idea of eternity in a way that human beings could understand. And the way it was put is, imagine that a bird could fly to the moon. Okay, and those who are really literal and scientific say, not possible, there's no air in there and they're not going to be able to, okay. Forget the scientific reality, just use the image, okay? That a bird could fly back and forth between the earth and the moon. And the bird picked up one grain of sand and flew it to the moon each time. Number one, think about how long it would take to fly to the moon, if it were possible, Okay. But then think about all the grains of sand on, on the earth. That would take an amount of time. You know, God told Abraham that he would have more descendants than the sands of the seashore. And that's basically a way of saying it is too big a number to count. And 
And the purpose of the illustration was to say that when all of the sand on the earth had been transported to the moon, that would be only the very beginning of eternity. How long is that? It's a massive amount of time. And so the idea that we want to get is how important faith, training, spiritual training, Bible training is for our children. We may give them a skill, say athletically or artistically. We may help them get an education. But how long will they live on the earth and be able to use that? 70? 80? 90? Possibly even 100 years? Compared to the millennia of eternity. When your children, our children, get into eternity, will they thank us for all the things of the earth that we provided them? Or will they thank us for introducing them to Christ and teaching them so that from infancy they have known the Scriptures? tells Timothy to hold on to faith and good conscience, to guard the good deposit to continue in what you have learned. You know, for Paul, that's critically important. So, it is in this context that we get verses 16 and 17, as Paul was writing to Timothy about how from infancy he's been acquainted with the Scriptures that will make you wise to salvation for all Scripture. Is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work? What more, as human beings, do we need for eternity than Scripture? Literally, the word Scripture here would be the word writings. And that creates some confusion because... There are many different kinds of writings. So Paul has kind of qualified that because it's not everything that's ever been written. Because you and I both know there's a lot of junk out there that's been written and published, right? But what he's talking about is that which is God-breathed or inspired by God. That's the, some of the different translations will render that. It is that which speaks with the voice and authority of God. Not claims to, because there again, there are many people who write claiming to speak for God. But it is that which God has caused to be written. Uh, Peter, in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, explains it like this. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. 
You know, that right there is one of the most important things. If you look at the Old Testament prophets and you see them saying, God's word is a fire burning in my mouth. Or, woe is me if I don't speak. You know, it just it is just compelling. God is the force causing them to speak for him. But prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit. That's the premise of of what we call the Bible, a scripture. It's not just some ancient books. Uh, and that's illustrated, I think, or demonstrated by some of the statements. Uh, I, I was doing some surfing about, you know, the Word of God on, on Google. It says, curiosity. This is one website that says 50 important passages about the Word of God. I thought, no, we're not going to go through all of those. We'll be here all day. But Paul has told Timothy that, that God's Word, Scripture, will make you wise for salvation. That eternity that we just talked about would be very long and empty and lonely and miserable without the salvation that the Scriptures teach us about through Christ. When the crowds deserted Jesus, John tells us, Jesus looked at the apostles and said, aren't you going to go too? And Peter says, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no other source than God's word. And so Peter later wrote, telling his readers and us to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in salvation. See, the scriptures lead us to life and eternal life. I had to include Psalm 119. If you ever want to sit down and read one of the most beautiful Psalms, Psalm 119, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. There's your trivia, okay? The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It is a psalm about the Word of God. And there are many wonderful things. But, you know, I, I love this statement. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Okay, think about that. We call that illumination. Walking by light. I don't know about you, but about the worst thing and stupidest thing I can do is to try to go through the house in the dark. I have really hurt myself doing that. Because you... You know, and it's funny. Somebody said, you know, it's, it's kind of silly to curse the dark. You know, when you, you know, when you go through the dark and you don't like the light and you go through the dark and you trip and you fall, you stub your, whatever. God's word eliminates. It helps us. It helps our children to see where they're going. So the Tree of Knowledge program is, to me, one of the most wonderful things. Because what it is doing is teaching our children 
to love learning God's Word. It's, it's not just busy work. And I suspect moms, dads, because you have been helping your kids do this, have you learned more Bible? Do you remember more? Do you find yourself thinking when somebody refers to a passage, oh, I know that one. When I was 12, we had vacation Bible school, had a memory work competition. I think somebody realized that the quickest way to get my involvement was to make it a competition. Because I memorized chapter after chapter after chapter. I memorized the whole Sermon on the Mount. That's three chapters, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. Memorized 1 Corinthians 13, Hebrews 11. I won. I still have a Bible and a Halley's Bible handbook that were awarded to me for that. Imagine how many years ago that was. No, not that many. But just think about the, the reference material, the information, the knowledge, the wisdom. But more important than that, It's helping children know and remember God's Word. Parents and the church family are working together to help them know Jesus. I mean, think about it. When the kids come to find other adults to hear them recite their memory work, they're using and going to other members of the congregation. As a community, we are helping this go forward. And as a community... It has reached this thousand point. So it's a time to celebrate. Celebrate and acknowledge the accomplishment of our young people, our children. The blessing that they have from knowing that much Bible, that much of God's Word, but also to appreciate the help of parents and Christians. As I was thinking about what song we might use at the end, I was thinking that one of the most important things about knowing God's Word is that it leads us to knowing Jesus Christ. And so I asked Glenn, I think you're leading the closing song, aren't you? To to lead the song, More About Jesus. More About Jesus, Would I Know. So as we're singing the words of this song, thinking about God's Word in your life and how it has brought you, and hopefully through you, to other people, to your children, to know about Jesus. Let's stand as we sing.